this is a talk about um, healthcare and artificial intelligence, and it's part of our one book, one college program on Isaac Asimov's classic text, uh, iRobot. And it's really fascinating, the technology that is on the way and how it's going to impact the future of all parts of our economy. Um, today we're going to focus mostly on the healthcare side and think about that, but I think for all of us, if I was in college right now, I would be thinking about what does the future job market look like? What skills do I need um, to be competitive? And I'm very happy that uh, Mr. Dave Ducat is here to help us think about that uh, today. So let me just tell you, if I can get my phone to work, um, about Dave. Uh, Dave, uh, during his 20 plus year career, Dave Ducat has worked with many of the leading Chicago area and national healthcare systems to modernize healthcare through the selection and implementation of leading edge technology. Dave Ducat is practice area director um, AWS at Slalom, a modern consulting firm based in Seattle, Washington. Prior to his almost 10 years at Slalom, Ducat held similar positions in technology and management, consulting, financial services, insurance, and manufacturing. Uh, Mr. Ducat has a Bachelor of Arts degree in physics, mathematics, and computer science from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. He currently resides in Chicago. And I just want to say thank you, Dave, for the time and preparing and for being here I'm with us today. With that, I'll turn it over to Dave. Thank you thank all you. for being thank here. Thank you, Troy. Everybody, can everybody hear me okay? First of all, I wanted to dispel all the rumors. I'm not that cool. <laughs> no, I know it's true. It's hard to believe. Um, and I want to thank all of you, first of all, for being here, uh, taking time out of your day to be here and listen to me talk. I actually hate to talk. I'd rather listen to you. So I want to make this a conversation. Uh, I also want to thank you for allowing me to be actually student-like today. I haven't been to college in almost 30 years. I have my 30-year reunion is next year. So I get a chance to dress down and be like a student today, so I'm pretty excited about that. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and healthcare today. I want to dispel the rumors right out of the gate. There will be no more jobs in healthcare available after this conversation. Just kidding. Um, there, but the jobs that you think you're talking about now are going to change. And that's really the whole idea, is that it's no longer going to be a doing for people activity. It's going to be doing with people activity. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a little bit. So I want to scare you. Um, there are incredible opportunities that are going to come to you as you focus in this area of your careers. And even if you don't decide to go into healthcare, maybe healthcare isn't where you actually want to end up. That's perfectly okay. But AI, artificial intelligence, is going to be a part of anything and everything that you do, that you touch, that comes to you, that you get rid of. It's going to be part of every part of your life. I know that sounds scary, uh, but don't be scared. We'll talk about it. All right. So I'm going to give you a quick example. First of all, I'll talk a little bit about my company, just because i, I got to put the commercial in. That's why they allow me to be here. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about AI, what it means in terms of the future of AI of healthcare, uh, and you know, what does it mean for you, me, and everybody else, right? And I'll give you some, and we're going to close it off with a really cool example as well. But first, first and foremost, as I said, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk with you. I want this to be a conversation. So please feel free, just do me a favor if you would, raise your hand so I can figure out where you are and what you want to talk about. We'll ask questions back and forth. If you guys think of something, I've saved some time at the end, we'll definitely do that too. But this is an interactive discussion because the more you learn from each other, the better I sound. It's supposed to be a joke, guys, come on. Help me out here, yes, all right. So really quickly, so what do you think that number represents? $75 billion, what do you think that represents? Fraud, yes, but what? Uh, Medicare 
No, but you're on the right track, though. Close. It's it is fraud. Yes. Close. It's something in healthcare that you probably don't even realize. Money spent on what? Fraudulent drugs. Seventy-five billion with a B. That's a big B. Fraudulent drugs produced every day around the world. Here's another question for you on that. What do you think is the most fraudulently produced drug in the world? And no, it's not Viagra before you guys think about that. <laughs> I get that all the time. No, that's not it. What is it? Do you know what it is? Nope, it's not narcotics. There's not enough demand. Yes, but what kind of opioid? Nope. 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 Close. Codeine, but not quite. Think, small, think smaller, broader. Nope. Think smaller, but broader use. What? No, it's, it's, it's opioid or acetaminophen, ibuprofen. The two biggest, most fraudulently produced drugs in the world. Why do you think that is? They're over the counter. The market's huge. The market's ridiculously huge, right? So where you put these these products are being being actually created and manufactured in places like Nigeria, third world countries, Indonesia, Thailand, where unfortunately, and this has nothing against the folks in those countries, their regulations and their standards just simply aren't that strict, and the labor is fairly cost effective. So. Even large companies like the large pharma right here in the United States are hit by this all the time. And it's not just, those are the most fraudulently produced. Of course, many other drugs are fraudulently produced. Okay, so $75 billion is a cumulative number all up of the amount of fraudulent drugs that are out there in the world. Can you guys fathom that for a second? Think about that. How do you know that when you go to CVS or Walgreens or wherever you get your over-the-counter medication, how do you know that those drugs are actually accurate. The FDA, that's right. We actually here in this country have an agency called the FDA that forces standards and regulations on everybody throughout the entire chain. From research, to development, to manufacture, to distribution. Right? We have those regulations in, in, in place. But we, we're the United States. We don't actually manufacture nearly the amount of drugs that the rest of the world does or places in the rest of the world actually manufacture drugs for us, yes? So that number is a huge number, and it impacts a lot of people. So my company, Slalom, actually made, had an opportunity to figure out how do we tackle this problem. This is a healthcare problem, right? right? How do you know you're getting the drugs that you're supposed to be getting where you get them? The FDA is only so big. It only has so much money. It has only so many people, right? So how do we create a broader solution how do we deploy a broader solution that even you, with your phone, right, can go in, in, in your house and figure out whether you have the right drugs or not? So a company uh, that we work with out of New York created this really cool idea. We're going to take the best of the old technology, which is a piece of paper with colors on it. And it's, wait, wait for it. It's actually a control sheet, right? And we're going to take our cell phones or any other mobile device. We're going to take this control paper. We're going to allow it to be put into a solution of water or alcohol and the crushed up drug. 
What, what do you think will happen when you put a bunch of paper with colors in it, in, in water? Well, it'll change colors, but it also will happen. It'll bleed, right? The colors will bleed all over the place intentionally. And we can take a picture of that, right? We can send it off to, I'll talk about that in a, in a little bit later. We'll send it off to the cloud, and it'll come back and tell us exactly by that color bleed what drug it is, how much the potency of that drug is, and if there's anything else in it. Pretty simple, pretty simple idea, right? Pretty straightforward. For us as people, we can sort of figure out how to do that. We can see it in our minds. Try making a computer see that. It's a, it's a challenge, but this is where technology is going. This is where artificial intelligence and machine learning comes in. So I want you to hold that idea in your brain while we talk a little bit more about how we get there, okay? And just as an FYI, we were able to actually take the results that we were able to get from a human, which is about 80 to 85%, and actually improve that to 90% and 97% accuracy and potency. So again, with technology, we are able to add another 10 plus 10 percent accuracy on that score and do it a lot faster with a lot less cost. We'll talk about that later on in this discussion. So keep that in your minds. This is where technology in, in healthcare is going. All right, we do a quick commercial. Slalom, as you heard uh, Mr. Swanson say, is a modern consulting firm based on focused on strategy, transformation, oops, uh, technology, and business transformation. We do all those things. As a, as a kind of a single idea, right? We're going to transform business. And I want you guys to think about when you are in your studies in healthcare, life sciences, other STEM areas, or frankly, anywhere, how, do you, how are you going to transform what's in front of you? How are you going to take the, the knowledge and work with the people that are around you to transform the companies that you're going to work in? Because that's where we are all heading. We all have to transform the industries that we're working in. And for us at Slalom, we try to use both strategy and technology to do that. We're based all over the country. Um, as you can see, we're headquartered in Seattle, but we're also based here in Chicago. We've got a really cool office. You're welcome to come down and check it out in the Aon building uh, downtown Chicago. We've got full panoramic views, and we've got a beer kegerator in the freezer. So if you guys want to come down and check that out. And we have a ping pong table, too. So good stuff. We do those things, like I said, we kind of look at how we work with customers to transform their businesses. It's not a do it to you, as I said, kind of suggested earlier, it's a do it with you. And as you, as your, in your future roles, you'll need to be thinking the same way about healthcare. It's no longer a do it to you, it's a do it with you. The patient or the customer, and we'll talk about what that means, will become the primary caregiver for themselves and the information will become available to them through these technologies. And just a quick, really quickly, um, these are some of the folks we've worked with. You may recognize some of those names. It's not all of them, uh, but there's some that are right here in Chicago, for example, Advocate, uh, you know, HCSC, et cetera, as well as all over the rest of the country, and in some cases, the world. So we're very proud of our healthcare background and the things that we do in healthcare, and I'm excited to represent those folks here today as well. All right. Enough of the commercial. So, what is AI? What is artificial intelligence? Somebody have any ideas? It's a great movie. There's a couple of them, yes. AI by Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick, one of my favorite movies of all time. Great movie. What else? Anybody else have a, yes? 
So the answer is, so she gave the answer, I like your answer, it's mostly right, is when computer intelligence mimics human intelligence. I want to challenge you on the word mimic, though. Anybody else have a thought? What else is artificial intelligence? What is it? Replaces human intelligence. That's what I want you to think about. And it's not because it, it doesn't mimic it, because, again, it develops itself and it continues to grow just like a human does. Right? So we have to think about artificial intelligence as being intelligent, but yet artificial, versus artificially intelligent. All right? It sounds like a semantics discussion. We are in college, right? So we'll talk about philosophy and semantics later on in this presentation. But think about it that way. It's intelligence that is artificially made, but it's actually replacing, in many cases, the job or the, the, the needs of a human. All right. Let's talk about healthcare first. So what's healthcare to you? Any of these things make sense to you? Sound familiar? Some of you are probably talking about going into research maybe in terms of healthcare, whether it's pharma or it's other, it's life sciences of some sort or kinesiology or some type of research, right? Providers are typically doctors, nurses, staff, that sort of thing. Pharma is exactly what it sounds like. It's the manufacturing, the creation and manufacturing of drugs. Uh, payer, which is what we, none of us really like to talk about, are those insurance companies and the folks who actually do the payment for services to providers as well as to people. And then veterinary is just a subsection of those. We also do veterinary work as well in terms of working with some of our customers who focus in that area of healthcare for our favorite furry friends or feathered friends, depending on which ones you have, or scales for that matter. I have all those in my house, which is really kind of scary. Um, but, you know, it's a combination of different things, but they all tie together in some way, right? You know, without research, we're not going to have drugs. Without drugs, we don't, we don't cure diseases, right? Without the, the ability to pay for the services and drugs that we use, we aren't able to cure diseases and fund new research, right? So they're all connected. But what is the one thing that connects all of these things together, do you think? It's the one thing besides the person. Technology is close, part of technology. Care, what, keep going. Keep going, you're on the right track. One thing, you probably don't even think about it because it's, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Data. Data is the thing that connects all five of those together and anything else that you do. Whether it's data about the efficacy of a drug, whether it's data about what you did today, whether it's data about you know, what your family history is, whether it's data about the x-rays that you had you know, 15 years ago that are now digitized and available in EMR uh, systems. All of that's data. Data is the new currency, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't understand data and don't understand the power of data, Everything, regardless of whether it's healthcare, manufacturing, anything else, is going to pass you on by. And that's my warning to you. Understand data and how valuable and how important data is. Because it, will, it is the new, it, like I said, it's a new currency. Why do you think, for example, that drug companies, as an example, how many, has anybody ever, ever gone through and watched a drug company go through an actual set of trials? Put a business case together for a drug get a bunch of funding money and seed money for that drug, go through a trial. No? Never had that happen? It's all about the data. That data is incredibly valuable, 
right? And we'll talk about uh, one example later on at the end of this, and you'll see why it's important. All right, so we talked a little bit about healthcare, we talked about defined healthcare. Now let's talk about what artificial intelligence really is. All right, I'm gonna give you a brief history really quickly though. Way back, and you can't see that for some reason, way back in 400 BC, that was a few years ago, the first actual automatons were created. You know what an automaton is? Automaton, not an atom, automaton? What is it? Yes. That's right. So an automaton is an actual being, a thing, that is built out of wood, in that case, certainly back then, wood and string and rope, and actually operates on its own, physically. It moves around. Okay? And this was actually presented to an emperor in China as a gift, and he was the only one who had one in the world, and so he was pretty happy about that. But this is where we start the idea of artificial intelligence. We create beings that look like what? Humans to simulate intelligence. Moving on to 50 AD, these are, this is a Roman invention, I'm sorry, a Greek invention, and this is uh, actually an entire Greek tragedy. This is a replica, but an entire Greek tragedy that was done mechanically with actual beings moving around, with music playing, everything else was done automatically. Now, for those of you who are not theater majors, because I know probably many of you aren't in the room, I actually dabbled in theater for a while as a, as a youth. Um, Greek tragedies did not have words. They were not spoken. They were music and they were sung and there were music involved by a chorus that actually then the activities were done by the principals without them actually saying or doing anything in that way. So this was able to be replicated completely way back in 50 AD by very smart people who figured out how to create a system of pulleys and levers and things to move things around. Fast forward to 1206 in the Middle East. Um, again, another automaton example where actually a, a, uh, an architect built a whole room full of automatons and had them actually function independently of each other. Pretty cool. 1300, now we're kind of moving, we're getting closer here. This is actually a Spanish philosopher who devised the first logic machine that operated on its own using wood pegs, pulleys, and rope. And you would actually posit a question and it would actually figure out the answer using what would become the predecessor to Boolean logic. Keep going, does anybody know who that might be? In 1420, really famous individual. It has to do with healthcare, as a matter of fact. Leonardo da Vinci. This is Leonardo da Vinci's automatic robot, or automatic man, who actually operated on its own. He was able to stand up and sit down, pick his hand up, lift his visor, put it back down, and function that way automatically without having to be programmed. This would later become the impetus to name the da Vinci robotic surgical machine. Anybody ever, ever have surgery with a robotic surgical machine? No? All right, well, if you have, in terms of healthcare, this is actually what that's named after. 1768, this is now a French manufacturer who takes the automatons and is able to create individual different drawings by programming them. So for example, this one on the left here, these two on the left and right would, would create a story based on a program, that it would, a physical program that it would be created. The one in the middle actually had a, had a, uh, 
had a squeeze box and would make noises similar to like singing. All on its own. Wind it up and go. I know this sounds really simple to you, but you have to think about this in going back a few years. Right? Even back in the 1700s, you know, there wasn't electricity. There wasn't, you know, power tools. Everything had to be done by hand. We had to create all of this by hand. And someone had to think about this, not just in the moment, but overarchingly, logically, about how would we put this thing together. Over here, on, on the right hand, on the left hand side, is what's known as the Turing machine. Anybody ever heard of the Turing machine? There you go, I got one good nod. The Turing machine was really the first mechanical, electromechanical device that was the predecessor to the modern computer. Alan Turing, a famous mathematician in England, who unfortunately was prosecuted for his uh, sexual orientation at that time, was a genius, and you may have seen movies about him. There was a recent movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch not too long ago about his life. But he created, as I mentioned, the first thinking machine. Right? Again, very simple, very simple logic, but created the first thinking machine. Fast forward to the now 19, later in the 1930s, this is actually the first uh, robot that was, uh, that was identified at the World's Fair. This robot actually could speak using pre-recorded pre records that were built into its torso, and it would answer questions, very fundamental questions, using records that were actually wax-pressed records in its torso. In 1939 World's Fair. This is, the, this is the original Roomba. You think I'm kidding? 1946, this is the predecessor to the Roomba. It actually used electromagnetic and light sensors to move it. It could move on its own, and it could follow a basic fundamental logical program to seek out, for example, where the dark spot was. It would move there. Now, that sounds really simple, right? Today, I could pick up my phone and I can ask, you know, I can ask my personal assistant to do all kinds of things, right? But back then, this was a huge, this was a huge opportunity. I could actually think about now taking those ideas and putting them to things like vehicles, right? I could think about taking those ideas and putting them to things like what would become an X-ray machine, right? So these are, we're starting to get this, these things are starting to happen, right? They're coming faster. Meet the folks who founded AI. These are the folks at Dartmouth University who, were the, who coined the term artificial intelligence. And as a matter of fact, um, just you know, a couple, several years ago, um, they had the 50th anniversary of artificial intelligence. These are the ones, you might hear the name Marvin Minsky, for example, that sound familiar to you? I think I got one nod back there. These are the folks who created artificial intelligence as a term. Here's a gentleman who actually created a program called ELIZA. For those of you who, you know, when I was back at Augustana College, that's where I went to school in the 1980s, we'll talk about that in one, one more spot, um, I rewrote ELIZA in a, in a program called LISP. And LISP was the original first artificial intelligence language, computer language designed for that purpose. And there it is. I was at school at this time. This is what's known as the AI winter, where there was no artificial intelligence being studied or done because it was too expensive and it wasn't netting any results. You know, back here in the 60s and early 70s up until the early 80s, there was a lot of interest in, in uh, AI and academia, but there wasn't a real practical way to apply it, and there wasn't a practical way to do it from a resource perspective. It was too expensive. I didn't have enough power, computing power. I didn't have enough storage capabilities, right? It was very expensive back then until the, late, the mid to late 90s 
where computing power at the personal computer level started getting much more cost effective. And today, we don't even think about it. Today, it's almost, it's everywhere, right? We can go to the cloud today. How many of you folks today use uh, Google Gmail? The whole place raises their hands, yes. Gmail is a cloud email service, right? You don't really think about how much storage you have, do you? Nah, don't really have to, because it's so, it's so cheap and cost effective, you don't even think about it anymore. But we had to go through the AI winter to get to that level of thinking, right? Well, so we gotta start doing something else and give ourselves the resources that we need. 1997, I'm a chess player myself, so this was a personal thing for me. Uh, that's Gary Kasparov, he was the world champion at the time, got beat by a computer. First time he was ever beat by IBM's deep blue computer. And again, this is, now we're starting to see artificial intelligence become more like the mainstream, right? This is a, a computer who beat the world's best player in chess. Gary Kasparov, K-A-S-P-A-R-A-O-V. K-A-S-P-A-R-O-V. And he was the first person, as I said, to be beaten by a computer. First grandmaster who was a world champion at the time to be beaten by a computer. He was not the first grandmaster to be beaten by a computer. IBM's Deep Blue. Just recently, uh, probably a couple of years ago, maybe you saw that, that the uh, computer beat uh, the world champion Go player as well, and using a different algorithm completely. 2011, anybody recognize that thing? It's an iPhone. What's, wh who's on an iPhone? Siri, right? Siri, yes. Good question? Okay. Siri. And so we can press the, the magic button, and we can ask Siri all kinds of things, like, how, is this presentation any good? I don't have an answer for that. Good call, Siri. All right? But this is where we start to see now artificial intelligence or the ideas around artificial intelligence come to you as a person, as an individual, as someone who doesn't do AI research, who doesn't have a vested interest particularly in AI. You have a vested interest in getting you know, from here to the library. Oh, wait, we're in the library. Right? But you get the idea, right? I can do anything now by asking Siri. My vested interest is not in AI, it's in the outcome. Okay, so these technologies are starting to become so mainstream, we don't even think about them anymore. Anybody know who that is? Sophia, yes, very good. Sophia, so in 2016, Sophia was named the first official robotic citizen of a country. Yes, it's true. And you'd be surprised what country it was. Nope. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, Sophia is the first robotic citizen of a country. Now, I want you to think of it, and we won't have a chance to talk much about this today, unfortunately, because I could talk about this all day. But Sophia is literally the cloud. Everything that she does, says, thinks, learns, goes from her to the cloud and is stored there. Sophia will tell you, if you actually ask her, she will tell you about what, how old she thinks she is, and she'll tell you how old she thinks she is relative to knowledge. And she'll tell you that she's roughly between a six and eight year old child. And it's true. She has about the knowledge structure of a 68 year old child. So we're at that level yet of artificial intelligence. We still have a long way to go. Chatbots. Anybody ever use a chatbot before? You think you've used a chatbot before? Or didn't know you used one? You guys ever gone to uh, an insurance company? Or have you guys ever shopped online for anything? I know no one ever does that in here. Where have you shopped online besides Amazon? Somewhere else. What? Wish? Oh. 
Okay, I'm old, so you have to help me out here. What else? Okay. Best Buy. Have you ever gotten, you ever actually gotten a little pop-up window on the bottom of your web browser that says, can I help you? Do you think that that's a human? No. Because they don't act like one, right? I mean, you can, they sort of do. They kind of give you that nice, friendly feel like, hi, so-and-so. Would you like to help? Would you like some help today? That's all, those are all chat bots. Those are all pre-programmed bots that allow for some inter information exchange that they use business rules and logic to do something with it. So if you say no, for example, what happens? What do they do? No, they don't. They don't go away. They come right back. And they challenge you again. Are you sure? Are you sure you couldn't, you, know, you don't want to try this thing, right? You see this now, like what about the wish lists, for example, on Amazon? Or if you go and you go to, now McDonald's, for example, is providing you kiosks that will actually prompt you with choices. Would you like to try this? This is all examples, these are all examples of artificial intelligence at play, right? And then finally, as we bring it back around to healthcare, Today, in Japan, as well as a couple other places, there are actually robots that are sentient beings to some degree. They actually use facial expressions to understand what you're feeling at the moment. This particular robot is designed to actually help lift patients out of beds, chairs, and anything else. This, this robot will actually, now it still requires a person to tether them to the robot so they don't fall off accidentally. But you can see where this is going, right? We're starting to use these technologies now, not just in you know, fancy robots or you know, chatbots. We're actually using these technologies now to bring healthcare to people and help people help themselves. Yeah, sounds good? All right, the look at their watches are getting bored. We gotta move on. All right, let's talk about AI. So let's do a level set here. I know when Mr. Swanson talked about this, the, the theme of this overall program, which is a STEM program, right? We need to level set on what AI really is and what it isn't. How many folks have seen the movie iRobot? AI. What else, we, what else has uh, artificial intelligence in it that you've seen? Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey, yeah. Okay, 2001 Space Odyssey, one of my favorite movies of all time because, hey, I'm Dave. What else? Anything else? Star Wars. Star Trek. Yeah. All right. The good news is that we have AI today. The bad news is that we don't have AI to that level yet. We'll talk about that in a second. But AI is really to imitate, mimic, or I would argue replace intelligent human behavior where we don't need humans to do those things. Right? For example, do we actually really need a human up here talking to you right now? No. It could be a webinar. It could be a holograph. It could be a prepackaged discussion. We don't really need me up here, but yet you like me, right? Of course you do. Thank you. AI is, a, is really made up of a bunch of other things. AI is itself is nothing without these other tools. We're not going to get into all of them today. We're going to focus kind of over here on these for the moment. Um, but there's other things like, for example, neural language usage, neural language processing, a bunch of other things that are involved, but they're not necessarily, AI could not exist without them. So let's level set really quickly what AI is. 
What AI is today is something called narrow AI, or the ability to focus AI on a specific task or problem. What you think AI is, if you watch, you know, watch Artificial Intelligence in the movie, or iRobot, or everything else, is what's called AGI, or Artificial General Intelligence. That's like C-3PO data, the actual, uh, you know, from Star Trek, and of course the robot from iRobot, right? That's what artificial general intelligence is. We're, the good news, we're not there yet. We're not even close to that yet. As I mentioned, Sophia, who is the closest to these right now, operates at what? A six to eight year old child, right? These characters are operating as massively thinking wealth of knowledge beyond all human knowledge, right? So that's fantasy, but it's a vision. It's a place to think about where we go. And then ASI is just a, a subsection of that called artificial specialized intelligence or special intelligence or specific intelligence, which is just to, to take a human characteristic, for example, eyesight, and do that in AI. Okay? So AGIs are made up of blocks of ASIs. Let's think of it that way. Okay? Well, let's talk about what really narrow AI really is. Narrow AI is the ability to take AI and focus it on a specific task. For example, image recognition. If we go back to my first example we talked about in terms of recognizing an image, AI is just simply taking that image, breaking it down into its bits and bytes, looking at patterns, and looking at patterns over time, so that when we train a model it rep to repeatedly look at tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of images, it can pull out patterns automatically for us. So we don't have to do it, right? So as people, we don't have to sit here and do that. That gets us to things like, for example, further down the food chain in terms of developing things like vision systems uh, for robots, for example, um, or, you know, reasoning, common sense reasoning, aka chatbots and things like that, that do basic fundamental reasoning. For example, do you, wa do you want that? No. Are you sure? No. Yes, I'm sure. Are you really sure? You know, things like that, right? It's very simple, straightforward stuff. That's all based on something called machine learning. We're going to talk about machine learning in the next couple slides. Machine learning is exactly what you think it is. It's machines that are programmed to learn. And that they do that using mathematical models. And then deep learning is just a con is another way of looking at that where, for example, how many of you folks have seen or heard about Google's autonomous cars that drive themselves? Yeah, back there, okay. Those are done, those, are, those drive themselves by going through a, a very extensive deep learning process. They learn, for example, what a road looks like. They learn what a white lane looks like. They learn what a, a stop sign looks like. They learn what a, other street signs look like. They learn what another car looks like. They go through all of this by doing repetitive, 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 hundreds of thousands of repetitions of data. All right, and it's, it's actually mind-blowing when you think about how much data we're talking about. So machine learning, as I said, is the foundation of artificial intelligence, right? And it's algorithms that learn from and then predict an outcome, right? So in, in essence, we're asking, we're using a specific algorithm to ask a question. So in the case of, for example, image recognition, we're asking for the algorithm to tell us, is this image something or is it not, right? And we do that, and it gets done by finding patterns in data. Again, if you think about taking an image of this room, we just, I took a picture right now of this room, 
and I would see all of your smiling faces, right? I would be able to use technology today to pick out your individual faces from the crowd and do something with it. I could tell you you were here. I could tell you what seat you were sitting in. I could tell you how, how tall you are next to your neighbor. I would tell you the, how far back you were from your neighbor. I could tell you your actual geospatial positioning, all from one picture by using machine learning techniques today, just as we're sitting here. And then there's two different flavors of this idea. One is supervised, where I, as a person or as a, as a, as a scientist or as a, someone who's looking at data, I specifically create a set of samples that I feed to a model and say, here, model, I want you to look at just these samples. But then there's the unsupervised version, which is go figure out what the patterns of this data are and come back and tell me something. Of course, there's power in both of those. But when we talk about healthcare specifically, we probably have to start in the supervised world and we move towards the unsupervised world. And this is kind of, again, it's hard to see this as kind of an eye chart, but this is kind of what a process looks like. We frame a problem, we collect data, we integrate that data, we prep and clean it to make sure we've got good data. We go through a, a visualization and analysis pr uh, process. Did we meet our goals? No. Go back through the loop and try again. If we met the initial goals, deploy the model, let it go run, come back and update the model with the outcomes, right? Fairly straightforward. But again, this is a very elegant idea. Because today, if we're looking at problems as humans, what do we have to do typically? We have to know ahead of time what we're looking for. We have to know ahead of time what we, what we want as an outcome, generally speaking, right? Or what we're supposed to be doing. You guys are solving problems every day in classes, right? Do you generally know what you're looking for? Right? That's the way, that's the way education is structured. We want, to, we want you to find answers that we want you to find. Now, of course, if you find something else, that's great and that's cool. We really appreciate that. Thank you. But you're being measured on how to find answers that you are being structured to find. We're training models in AI and machine learning to find results that may not have never been thought of before. And tell us what those are. So let's go back to that first use case I mentioned, which is around how do we take that control card and do something with it. So just really quickly, that control card is basically created in a set of colors by drugs. So for example, if, if it's acetaminophen, there are maybe five cards that have different, that have different color schemes that match acetaminophen to a certain level of purity and a certain level of dosage, right? Same thing with, you know, other drugs. And so roughly speaking, in this particular example, we looked at 11 drugs and over 2,500 images as controls. Okay, so think about that for a minute for you math majors in the room. 2,500 images divided by 11, that's, you know, roughly what? Help me out here. 200 images roughly, right, give or take? per drug, um, or, so can, can you as a human look at 200 images for one drug? Sure, of course you can. You can look at them, you probably have them in a book somewhere, right? Just flip back and forth, that's really easy. How much time does it take you to do that? A lot of time, how much is a lot to you? An hour or two maybe? Okay, fair enough, I'll give you that. An hour or two maybe? For one drug, for one example, right? I can get a, I can, and what, well, here's the thing though, if we go back and think about that picture, what if I was out in, say, the middle of Nigeria, 
and I had a pretty crappy phone because, again, it didn't, nothing works out there. I take a picture of that sheet. I really can't tell what it looks like. It's kind of bad, but I send it up anyway. What do you think, my, what do you think it's good? How, how easy do you think it would be for a human to correlate that information? They would have to guess, right? What's the problem with guessing, especially in healthcare? Yeah, if you guess wrong, it kills people, literally, right? So we don't want to guess. So how do we also solve that problem? So it's not just simply a problem of comparing and contrasting in time. It's a problem of taking the human guessing out of the equation, right, and mitigating error. So in order to do that, we developed a solution of something called AWS SageMaker. It's not important what that solution set is uh, other than um, it's a machine learning tool that Amazon Web Services provides. But we actually developed it in five weeks that was able to process hundreds of thousands of images in a matter of minutes. Taking one person doing one image for an hour, which is about right, give or take, down to 1,000 images in a matter of seconds. Okay? But, we had to, but by doing that, you have to understand, this is what we're looking at. As I mentioned before, what does that look like to you as a human? I don't know. It's all blurry. I can't tell what it is. Right? But if I actually do some cleanup, I can get a little bit better control structure, right? I can clean the data up because, again, as a computer, I can move bits and bytes around and take away the noise. As a human, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to make that change. And so I can use tools to actually look at those color schemes, capture the colors, capture the position of the colors, and I can identify where those colors are the size of those colors, and how it relates to the overall control. Now, I realize this is probably boring to you. Like, I got some people sleeping already. I got to pick this thing up. But the reality is this is extremely difficult for a human. Because as humans, what else do we want to do besides just guessing? What else do we want to try to do? Live forever. Okay, that's fair. But what else? We want to bias the outcome. We want to try and do our best work, right? We want to be seen as the best we can be. Most of us do, anyway. We will inject our own bias into results. This happens all the time, folks. Anybody, any research people in here? No? Mr. Swanson, you want to talk about research bias? No, he doesn't. Okay, he's, he's, he's busy over there. Research bias is a huge problem because as humans, we want to inject our opinions into things because, again, I'm a consultant. I get paid for it. It's great. Yay me. But for those folks in research, they have to be very, very careful of not injecting their own opinion into the actual research outcomes. So this is why we use models and tools to do that so we take the human out of the equation. And I'll, uh, the, the net, net of this is that, you know, 2,400 images as a baseline represents 11 unique drugs. We were able to get, as I said before, down to, from an 80% to a 90% accuracy in hit and a 97% accuracy in potency. Okay, it's a huge change when you think about it, where it would take rooms of people literally weeks and months to process a few of these drugs. It took this model minutes. And now that service is available to drug manufacturers around the world as an opportunity for their, to be in the field and test these things right there in the field. Right? And here's the other thing. Remember I said it was a $75 billion problem. 
$75 billion with a big B, that's a lot of zeros. This solution as it sits today costs less than $400,000. Operationally for a year, $400,000. For 11 drugs and 2,400 images. The goal is to, to scale this up to 50 for a particular manufacturer because um, they've actually bought the solution for themselves and to, to cover all their 50 basic drugs and over 200,000 images. But you get the idea that now we're talking about instead of having rooms full of people that cost lots of money, we have the ability to use technology to improve the ability and improve our performance on how we help and treat things. Yeah? All right. So let's talk about the future of artificial intelligence. I'm going to check in my time here. Okay, good. So really quickly, before we get into the, what this eye chart says, I want you to look at it this way. So on this left-hand side, this was what's called the hype curve. For my, our friends at Gartner, who, um, have you guys ever heard of Gartner? No? They're a giant research company. They make their money uh, doing research on all kinds of things, primarily technology-driven, but not always. And, they, and consulting organizations like ours use them for this sort of third-party analysis, right? So when you read this graph, on the left-hand side, these are all ideas in development, right? These are all things that are just pretty much conceptual right now. There's not really being anything done in the, in the, in the field on those. In this kind of little, this, the, the peak of the graph here is bleeding edge early adopters, those who are really interested in trying to get ahead. Maybe, um, for example, like it's a, a, a medical device manufacturer who wants to try to, you know, capture more of the market, that sort of thing. This other, this kind of the trough of disillusionment is where companies will start to adopt these things and try to gain, mainstream companies will try to adopt these things and try to gain innovation or market share, right? They'll, they'll realize that these things are on their way back to becoming uh, mainstream and they want to get ahead of that sort of curve. In this slope of enlightenment area, these are established industry leaders, meaning that people are out there today, industry leaders that you think of when you think of um, various industries are using these tools. And then over here, it's available to the mainstream. All right, so that's how you read this graph. I don't want to make, I don't, don't want to drain the whole slide, but to the left is conceptual, may never happen. To the right is happening right now in a place near you. Okay, so let's go back to the next one. So this is the hype cycle for artificial intelligence, okay, AI. This is what AI is going to bring to us in theory. Now the question is, Dave, which one of these things relate to healthcare? Almost all of them. Every single one of these things, with the exception of a few very, very specialized things, relate to healthcare in some way. Just really quickly, if you think about over here, on the, let's go from what's in play today to the conceptual, right? So speech recognition, can you do this today? Yeah. Absolutely, you can do it on your phones right now. There are applications, how many folks have an Alexa device? I do too, I have five of them in my house actually. It's, it's, yeah, I know, it's crazy. And I did not get them for free, I bought them by the way. Um, but I can ask Alexa to do just about anything I want, except make food. Turn on lights, turn off lights, uh, tell me if someone's at the door, right? I can have Alexa turn the TV on, change the channel. All these things can be done today. There are Alexa devices going to hospitals right now that can do the same thing on crash carts. It's happening right now. So speech recognition is a real thing. It's happening right now. GPU accelerators. Anyone know what a GPU is? How many folks do Bitcoin mining? I know you all do, right? 
GPU is just, a, is just a hardware processor that's focused on graphics, but it's being used for high intense uh, numerical calculations for things like Bitcoin mining, image processing, et cetera. Those are available today in real time. You can deploy those now. You can go, out, you can go down to Micro Center uh, or to um, Best Buy and you can buy a GPU accelerator board. Do it today, okay? You'll notice that there's really nothing in the middle here. Why do you think that is? What did I say that this section was? This is closest to what, yeah, exactly. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road in terms of the industry starting to adopt these technologies wholesale. Yep. So it, healthcare, no surprise, I'm sure to many of you, has been behind the other industries for quite some time, right? Intentionally. Because why? We talk, what did we say before? Mistakes kill people. Yeah, and funding and dark ages, we'll talk about that in a minute. Funding, you know, mistakes kill people, right? We don't want to adopt the latest and greatest technology because why? If it fails, someone dies. So we're going to be laggards when it comes to that. But the industry is starting to catch up. So let's talk about what's kind of in here. This is kind of the early adopters, bleeding edge kind of stuff, right? A couple of things we see. Cognitive computing. Cognitive computing is just a fancy way of saying, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to actually apply a set of business rules or rules in general to a problem. But I'm going to do it automatically. I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to update the actual rule set as I go. Right? So I'm going to actually learn from that. Insight engines. What, that, what do you think that means? Come on, guys. You're killing me. What's insight mean? What's that? Inside, okay. Insight means I get something. I get, a, a, I get an idea out of a set of things I'm looking at. So this is simply just a fancy way of saying a lot of data processing. I'm going to process a whole bunch of data about a customer or about a patient. And I'm going to gain insights from that. I'm going to use those insights for some reason, right? This is starting to become mainstream. As I mentioned before, <coughs> the idea of using chatbots com and combined with insight gives you what? Do you think? What's it? Someone said something? Data, but what else? What does it replace? People. Remember I said at the beginning of this conversation, you're all going to be looking at jobs that are not going to be here in five years, maybe 10 years. If I take the ability to have chatbots, conversational user interfaces, and insight engines, what have I basically done? I've created a healthcare provider on demand. So remember what I said, if, where this is going, is that people, we're not going to do it to people anymore. We're going to do it with them. If I can provide you, you, if I can provide you a visual image of a provider who looks like a human, who talks like a human, who sounds like a human, but they're not human, but I can provide the same level of care or that you provide yourself, would that be valuable? Maybe, maybe not. Would it be more cost effective? Definitely, because people cost money. Mistakes happen, right? If I can take out the mistakes, the hum human element, the human error, I can improve care, I can reduce cost, and I can provide for a better experience for the actual end user patient. Those are three powerful, those are three powerful things. Now, do I necessarily want to do that? No, because what do typically do computers not do very well? They're not emotional. They're not empathetic. 
They don't empathize, right? They just go, well, that's not, you know, they, they can use patterns of speech, but they don't actually have a bedside manner, right? So we're not quite there yet, but you can see the, the, the industry is starting to think this way, right? A couple other things that are important here. NLP is neural language processing. That's really just the ability to process language in spoken or written terms and do, make it effective and make it human-like. Uh, RPA, a robotic process automation software, that's already here. It's already being done. It's just not being done in healthcare. All that is is I'm actually taking machines and I'm actually automatically entering information, for example, on, on forms, in programs, um, registration information, that sort of thing I'm doing automatically so I don't have to actually have a human do it. Right? That kind of thing. So on and so forth. Well, let's get to the fun stuff over here really quickly. We've got a couple more slides. I know you guys got to get out of here, but we've got a couple more slides. So things like smart robots. We already, saw, already showed you a picture of one, right? It's going on right now. It's actually able to do some, some caregiving. This is only going to continue to improve. Because why? What's one of the biggest problems with humans uh, doing shifts in a hospital? They get overworked. They're tired. They're expensive. And what happens? They're not durable. What else happens when you have overworked, tired, and expensive? Mistakes happen. Mistakes happen, right? What if I had a robot that could, pro that could walk the halls 24 hours a day by 7 by 365 that could do most of the basic functions that, that we need? They could bring food. They could bring medicine. They could talk to you and have a conversation. They could check on your vital signs without having to actually even enter the room. All fundamental things, right? These are basic fundamental things. It can be done by robots. They don't have to be done by care practitioners, and we can focus the care practitioners on what they do best, which is solve health problems, right? Same idea. What about uh, probably the biggest one that's, that's left in this section that's, that's not tied together is really quantum computing. Quantum computing is just the idea of using quantum processors. Everybody know what a quantum processor is? That's right, it's not, worth, it's not worth worrying about today. But quantum computing is actually the future of computing in general, and it will be applied to healthcare as well. Let's go to, let's go to healthcare. So just like AI, we actually have a hype cycle for healthcare providers. Are, is anybody in the room right now working in a healthcare provider? What, where do you work? Or can you say? You work in a hospital. Okay, is, any, what hospital? Okay, so you work in Children's Rehabilitation Center as a hospital. What do you do there? CNA. Okay, so you're a certified nursing assistant. Yes? All right, great. Thank you for sharing, by the way. So you probably have some personal experience with some of this stuff, right, that's going on right here. But again, remember we said we went from right to left. This is today, and this is tomorrow, okay? So what's going on today in healthcare? Well, we've got some locationing so we can use some devices to help us locate people because we don't want to lose people in hospitals. That's pretty, that's pretty challenging. Um, but most of this stuff is business oriented. Yeah? Better coding, accountable care, meaning I have some organization in my provider group that is responsible for ensuring that we're actually providing the care we say we're providing. Very business focused, not really healthcare in big air quotes focused, right? What about here? Healthcare interoperability. Think about what that says. Let's think about what that says for a minute. 
Healthcare interoperability. What does it mean to you? What's that? Yeah, basically having all of our healthcare pieces work together, right? And work together for one common goal, which is what? The patient. Open notes. Okay, what does open notes think mean to you? It means the notes are available. There, there's things you can read, right? You as a consumer of services can read them. And then enterprise EHR systems non-US. It's interesting it says non-US, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. What, is it, what does that mean to you? What's EHR? Electronic health record. It is your single point of truth from whatever you use and wherever you use it, right? Whether you go to a doctor or a hospital or a, an urgent care provider, in theory, there should be one, one record of truth. Now, in the U.S., we don't have that. There's a reason, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But outside of the U.S., they're actually a lot more interested in this idea, and they're forward-thinking here, okay? So now we're kind of getting into, all right, here's what the early adopters are talking about. Like, okay... Early adopters, right? Kind of in this area. Let's see. What's really here? Is there anything that's artificial intelligence here? Oh, IoT. Does we know what IoT means? Internet of Things. It means devices, primarily today, but the Internet of Things. So, for example, all of your hospital gear, all of your uh, monitoring devices, all of your wearables, all kinds of stuff, right? That has Internet of Things. We're now thinking about doing that holistically inside of a single a provider space, okay? Which is again is fairly fairly uh, avant-garde for healthcare. Elder, elder care assistive robots. Oh, look at that! Now we're starting to think about, hey, where can we use these things, particularly where we're going to get the most value out of them? And again, what's elder care? Anybody do geriatric care here? Ever been? Yep. So I was actually, uh, I worked in a nursing home for many years as a, as a volunteer. And I was essentially the elder care robot. Right? I would go around, I would be everybody's grandchild. And I would go around and just basically be there for them. I'd help them, various things, right? Now, again, I was a volunteer, so no one paid me to do it. But imagine if we had robots that could do those things. I kind of gave that example before. That's a really good idea, and there's a great set of people who could really use that care at very little cost, right? Healthcare ERP, again, more business stuff. Um, this is the one that really kills me. Real-time physician documentation improvement. I want you to think about that for a second. What does that really say? It, it's actually worse than that. But yes, that's true. It's worse than that. Yes. Yes, that's the problem. Thank you for saying that. It takes forever, and I'm going to use that term loosely, three months is forever in the healthcare world, right? Because someone could have contracted a major disease by then, right? It takes forever to get actual transcribed documents into a system and do something with it that's valuable. And by that time, it's often too late, or it's not relevant anymore. Yes? Okay, there's a question, okay? You get the idea. Everything today in healthcare is primarily business oriented right now. But it's coming, right? Algorithmic medicine, AI healthcare advisors, 
precision health or, or very, very, very specific focused house-like stuff, but actually on demand real time. Digital speech analysis for clinical diagnoses, right? Having someone actually read when they actually do a diagnosis into a microphone and actually have diagnosis or analysis, have diagnoses come out of it as they're talking. You know, Star Trek stuff. It's on the horizon. So what does this all mean? Again, in the interest of time, what does this all mean? Well, right now, we're seeing at Slalom some very, still very rudimentary things. Number one, we're seeing that disruptive technologies like IoT, like AI, like ML, are starting to take hold in some places. But again, we have to remember there are blockers in healthcare, and we'll talk about those in one slide. 360 view of the customer, instead of, you notice it says customer, not patient. Why does it say customer, not patient? Because we're changing the idea of what a patient is. They're no longer a patient anymore. They're a customer of services. They buy our healthcare services. They buy our nutrition services. They buy our wellness services. They buy our holistic health services. They buy our integrative health services. They're no longer a patient. We're not doing to them. They're a customer. We're doing for them and with them. Value-based healthcare models, same idea. Instead of worrying about whether or not someone dies, okay, we're going to actually take that and go a step further and say, okay, we're going to take the idea of the value of life and we're going to work on things like alternative payment models. So where you don't have to necessarily pay for services right away. You, it's integrated into other assets or facets of your life. And then, of course, process optimization is always a thing in healthcare. That's not relatively new. But the ability to take these technologies and tools and really drive them into the efficiencies of healthcare so that we're not simply wasting money and time and people. We're actually efficiently using those things in the business. But where this all ends up is this. The patient, now called the customer, will continue to gain more control over their healthcare experience. AI and ML are going to be a big part of that in terms of enabling that to happen by democratizing data and democratizing information and getting it to the individual, every one of you in this room. Have the ability to see your health your data and the data of people you work for and work with. And the patient slash customer will be the one who determines what care and when based on the freely available information through technology. And we're not done yet, but that's where we're gonna go. Right? That's where it has to go. How many of you folks have been through a, a hospital merger? How many of you had, had, had hospital as your primary care provider got merged? Most of us in the room, you probably don't know it, but it's true. Most of the, the healthcare provider world is consolidating at a rapid pace. Why do you think that is? Cost efficiencies, absolutely. Why else? Who's got the power in healthcare? You, you all do. You're demanding things like 24 by 7 by 365 access to a doctor. No joke, I literally have to leave here in 10 minutes to get back to the city to get to my doctor because the only time she had available for me was at 1.15 today. I've been waiting for months to get in to see her. So you're demanding 24 by 7 by 365 access to a doctor. How are they going to do that? They have to get more resources to do that, right, as an example. But where's, you know, there are some obstacles here. And this is where all of you guys come in. 
because hopefully after this presentation, I've at least challenged you to think a little bit about how this technology can be really powerful for you. But you all have to do it. You all have to be the catalyst of change because these are really, really fundamental things that are happening right now in healthcare in front of you. You don't even know it. Things like, for example, very siloed thinking, right? This is my portion of my hospital or my portion of my insurance company or my portion of my drug researcher. And I only look at it this way, right? Is that going to work long term for customers like you? No, because that costs money. It takes time. It's inefficient. Same thing with the next one, data. What's the one thing we said at the beginning of this, or earlier in this presentation? Data is currency. Data is the thing that will actually make everybody valuable. But if you don't have access to it, you can't do the things you need to do. That also then look at the next one, the turtle there. Hospitals and healthcare are notorious for being slow, very slow. And if you were to go and talk to an administrator, they would say, well, again, if we make decisions quickly in a vacuum, what happens? Uh, we kill people. And we have large insurance settlements that we can't afford. That's true. But the power of data and the power of AI and ML tools will actually make that process much easier, much faster. But it has to be adopted. And folks like you, the, new, the critical thinkers in the room, the new lifeblood, no pun intended, in healthcare, need to be thinking about that and leveraging those tools for your own gain. Funding models. Funding models are always a problem, right? Because what, how many hospitals and provider groups are not for profit? A bunch, right? Lots. So how do they justify going out and spending millions upon millions of dollars if they don't have a customer, right? They're not for profit. So how do they pay for that? It's not an easy solution to fix. Technology debt. So remember I mentioned before about the EHR thing in non-US countries? That's because they don't have tens of millions of, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in technology that's old, outdated, but they're still paying on. That's what technology debt is, folks. How many of you folks just bought a new computer recently? What, how, long, how long did it take you to replace your computer? How long did you have the old one for? Two years, okay. How about you? First laptop, good for you. What else? Anybody else? Anybody carry one around for five years before you replaced it? How about Mr. Swanson? In the library, do you guys keep resources for how long? Four years, Four years right? The problem with that is, is that if you're still paying on those things, you can't upgrade because it's too costly to do that. You're throwing money away. So we've got to figure out how to solve that problem. Lack of proper skills. Every one of you in the room has now had a, a leg up on most everybody else in healthcare just by talking about and learning what AI is and why. Most people in healthcare have no idea and they're afraid of it. But of course, you guys are not afraid of anything, right? Right? Okay, thank you. Competitive versus collaborative culture. Again, this kind of goes with this thinking over here that when we, we keep our, ourselves in our silos of, of safety, right, we don't collaborate with anybody else. So the folks who are, for example, at the urgent care don't know that you had a polio vaccine in 1972. Well, that was me, I'm sorry. Um, a polio vaccine two years ago because they don't share information. You have to be the shepherd of that information and tell them 
with your record, oh yeah, by the way, I had this polio vaccine, please don't vaccinate me again. That doesn't, it's not very efficient, is it? Doesn't make a lot of sense. I mentioned mergers and acquisitions so we can move on. Regulatory compliance, of course, one of the challenges we have, and again, it's all with the best intentions here in this country, is that we have things called HIPAA. Of course, everybody knows what HIPAA is, right? Yes. Medical authorization form. So there are ways in which to allow providers to share information, but you as a customer have to authorize it. Okay? Or if you're a, a provider, you have to sign a, a business, uh, business uh, sorry, I can't think of the name of the form right now. Uh, for example, Amazon Web Services has to sign an agreement that they will be HIPAA compliant as long as you are, right, by putting your data on their system. And then finally, budgets, we kind of, kind of goes with funding. There, money is money is money is money, right? And where money goes, oftentimes, it's like a 10-year-old soccer game. Uh, wherever the money goes, people go, right? So if we're not channeling money into these technologies, they won't happen very quickly. But again, you as the new people coming into the world of healthcare, have opportunities for skills to collaborate, to understand the ideas of storage and cloud and big data and why those things are important, actually working with people empathetically and caring about the people, because it is a people business, yes? Using technology as soon as you can and le leveraging that technology and of course, artificial intelligence and using, the, using these tools to help create the new future. Because frankly, folks, you are the future. It's you. It's every one of us in this room, right, who understands that the idea about healthcare is no longer a do it to you, it's a do it with you and for you business. Really quickly, I want to thank you guys for being here. I hope you guys enjoyed some of this. I'm going to share with you a couple more thoughts and of course, I'll take questions if we, if we have a few minutes. But I want you to meet somebody who's really, really special. Her name is Michelle Yi. She's a, she's, she's a solution principal out of our Atlanta office. She was born outside of Seoul in rural North Korea in 1988. So she's not too much older than many of you. She grew up poor. In a fam you know, her family was involved in the Korean conflict and never actually gained any traction after that. They were very, very poor people. Her mother died of breast cancer at the age of five. Her, her mother, I'm sorry, she at the age of five lost her mother to breast cancer. She learned violin as a way to cope with that loss and to have some meaning in her life. Then, of course, she learned at nine years old that her grandmother had cancer. She took the equivalent of the GED. She decided that she was nine years old. I want you to imagine this for a second. You're a nine-year-old child. You decide... I'm going to go figure out how to solve cancer. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. She took the equivalent of the GED at 12 years old, passed, and got a full-ride scholarship to Eckerd University in Florida, and left South Korea at 13 years old, not knowing a single human being in the United States, having mostly broken English, but still had English, and going off to figure out how to solve cancer. She graduated college from Eckerd University at or Eckerd College with a degree in advanced analytics. A lot of the things that we're talking about here come out of advanced analytics capabilities. She happened also, because she, she got so good at violin, she played with the New York Philharmonic. She speaks six languages, by the way. 
She's an accomplished marathon runner. She actually volunteers with a program called Girls with Code. She plays violin in the string quartet for the homeless. She paid, out of her work, she paid for her grandmother's cancer treatments herself, entirely on her own, allowing her grandmother to live to 90 years old. Grandmother still died of cancer, but she lived to 90 years old with a much better quality of life. But here's where the really, really important stuff comes in, not that that's not important, because Michelle is an incredible human being. But she devised a method specifically working with the American Cancer Society, again, this was her passion, mind you, to take over 1,700 physical tissue samples and an image library of a proprietary format that hadn't been touched for 10 years, converted them to an industry standard format, used these tools I talked about, unsupervised machine learning, to go look at all these images, just look at them, learn from them, identify patterns, and took a projected three-person year's worth of work, three years of one person looking at images, and condensed that work into less than three months, allowing the ACS to develop new treatments for cancer and collaborate with their treatment partners more effectively, train the head of ACS, the American Cancer Society, on machine learning as an approach. But here's the kicker. The model that she devised and she built and ran helped correlate patterns of, of cancer that were never before correlated in samples. She literally found new ways to identify cancer through the work that we did. So AI and machine learning, there's power in these things. They're not just looking for a problem to solve. They are the future of healthcare. And I want you guys to hopefully take away from this that these are not tools to be afraid of. They're tools to enable you and every one of you and all of us to help people provide better care for people. Thank you.